You're listening to the Cornerstone Word of Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from Pastor Rhonda. For more information on our church, please visit cwol.org. Before we begin, I, uh, I had something on my heart, so I want us to pray. I want you to join with me, and let's just get out something God wants out. Amen? So, Father, we come before you right now in Jesus' name. And, Father, we as a church body, we purpose to resist the current of this world. Father, whatever it is that Satan is trying to slip into our nation, whatever it is that he's trying to slip into our nation, we say it shall not come nigh us, it shall not bother us, it shall not hinder or harm anyone connected with this body and with this fellowship of believers. And so we say to the current of this world, we say to the craziness going on in our nation, you shall not come nigh this place. You shall not come nigh this place. I say no. I say no. And with our faith, we protect this body of believers. We protect our church family. And we say the craziness of our world and the things going on right now, they shall not come nigh us. Father, I thank you that because we dwell in the secret place of the Most High, that we abide under the very shadow of the Almighty. We will say of the Lord, you are our refuge. You are our fortress, our God in whom we trust. Our God in whom we trust. We do trust you. For it is you who delivers us from the snare of the trapper. Father, you always deliver us from the snare of the trapper. That snare that Satan has laid for our feet or for the feet of the people of our nation. I thank you that you deliver us out of it in Jesus' name. I thank you that you always deliver us from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. You will cover us with your pinions and under your your wings we may seek refuge. Your faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. and We will not be afraid of the terror by night nor the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at our side, ten thousand at our right hand, but it shall not approach us. Ha, 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 ha. It shall not approach us. We shall look on with our eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. We will only look on with our eyes and see the recompense or the reward of the wicked. For we have made the Lord, even the Most High, our dwelling place. Therefore, no evil shall befall us, nor shall any plague, no evil, no evil, no evil, No evil shall befall us, nor shall any plague come nigh our dwelling. For you've given your angels charge over us to guard us in all of our ways. They'll bear us up in their hands lest we even dash our foot against a stone. We will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. We will trample down because we have loved you. And Father, you know we do. Because we have loved you, therefore you will deliver us. You will set us securely on high because we have known your name. We will call upon you and you will answer us. You will rescue us and honor us. And with long, long, long life will you satisfy us and let us behold your salvation. Father, we believe that, we receive it, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Father, I plead the blood of Jesus over the minds of the people connected to this body. We'll quickly realize what's of you and what is the, uh, the God of this world trying to, to cause uh, disharmony and disruption in our nation. We'll not participate in the craziness. We'll not participate in the craziness. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. 
Amen. Now listen, church family, way back in 2008 when that recession hit, Brother Jim Quillen, who takes up the offering on Sunday morning, he challenged us. He told us the blood of Jesus makes us immune from recession. He said, how about if we just choose not to participate? We're going to choose not to participate in this recession. And how many of you know it didn't affect hardly anybody at all? If you got affected greatly, I don't know about it. I mean, we came through that thing. Other people were hurting. Other stuff was going on. And we did all right because we chose not to participate. Now, listen, the devil is all into getting people all uptight right now, mad at one another. Virtually foaming at the mouth at one another. You understand? But listen to me. It doesn't matter what they do out there. It matters what we do in here. Do you understand? We're not going to participate, right, in any craziness that's going to go on in our nation. We're not going to participate. We're of a higher kingdom. We're of a higher place. And it's not going to affect us just like that recession in 2008 did not affect us. Amen? Well, Pastor Rhonda, what are you saying? I'm saying there could be some unrest coming to our nation. But I'm telling you, we don't have to participate. We can be protected. We can get through it without any harm, without any, uh, any harm. Amen? And we shall. Shall we? Not here. Not here. Not here here in Jesus' name. All right. For a while, I prayed the Pledge of Allegiance. I prayed the Pledge of Allegiance. Can you believe that? By the inspiration of the Spirit of God, we are one nation, one nation under God. We are one nation under God, indivisible, not dividable. In unity, one with another. We are one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. With liberty and justice for all. People need liberty and they need justice and they need, but we got to protect the unity because we are one nation. And I don't care who said this isn't a a, a Christian nation. They didn't speak for me. I clearly told the Lord, they are not speaking for me. This is a Christian nation. It was founded by our forefathers who put things in place to assure religious freedom and liberty and justice For all of its citizens, I'll fight for your liberty. I'll fight for your justice. But we got to avoid the craziness, all right? We are one nation under God, under God, under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. All right. That's not my sermon tonight. That was a freebie. Something on my heart by the Holy Ghost. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We have one more after this one. Okay, can you all do it? We can do it. We got, uh, we got tonight and next Wednesday probably on uh, the last of the signs of the last of the last days. Because once you recognize what season you're in, then you know how to act. There's certain behavior appropriate in certain seasons, and the Holy Spirit didn't want us to be caught off guard. He also wanted us to know what it is we're supposed to resist in this day. The Satan is is bringing things in uh, and trying to shove uh, society a certain way so that he can bring about the end of times that he has in mind. But we can resist what he's doing because we're like an embassy, You know, we have an embassy in a foreign country. And, you know, it could be hostile all out here. But within the law, within the walls of that embassy, the rules of America apply. 
Are you with me? In this world, there's all kinds of craziness going on out here. There's all kinds of, of stuff going on. But, but we are an embassy of God right in the middle of, of all this nonsense that's going on. And, and, and as far as our authority extends, for me and mine, and as far as my authority extends, we, uh, the rules of heaven apply here. Do you understand? The rules of heaven apply here. That means we have peace when the world says we ought to be all uptight and screaming and carrying on, that means we have joy when hardship comes. That means we can get our bodies healed when Satan tries to put sickness on us. Within uh, our lives, as far as our authority extends, the rules of heaven apply here. But we do have to recognize what season we're in. And so this portion of Scripture here in 2 Timothy 3 was given to us by inspiration of the Holy Ghost to the Apostle Paul. And he said in verse 1, 2 Timothy 3, 1, This know also that in the last days, and if you look at that, it's the last of the last days in the original language, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Go ahead and put that up, guys. You can put them up as I say it. He's given us signs. A sign tells you where you're going or where you are, right? So I know they may not be able to do both. They probably can't do both, right? Is it up there? Okay. Uh, men shall be lovers of their own selves. Are men lovers of their own self? They are. Are they covetous? They are boasters. Proud, blasphemers. I've never heard such blasphemy as is loose in our nation right now. Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. I mean, adults killing their own children. Who ever heard of for spite, for no reason, craziness? Uh, without natural affection, truce breakers, people who just say one thing and never intend to keep their word. They're just going to, you know, break, a, break whatever they say. False accusers, incontinent, that means without self-control, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Oh, my goodness, there's a lot of that right now. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. I tell you. A lot of those are where we're at, but those last three are what we're going to look at tonight. Hetty, let's start out there. Hetty. That's the Greek word propetes. Pro, pro, sure, whatever. Uh, P-R-O-P-E-T-E-S, which means to just someone who just rushes into things headlong without thinking them through. Someone who is rash. It's people who act on whatever impulse strikes them without regard for the consequences. I mean, people are just, are just responding without even thinking, and it's causing great harm not only to them but to the people around them. I mean, how many road rage incidents have we heard of recently where people are, are chasing each other and shooting each other and over parking spaces and over, you know, you cut me off in traffic and good night. That's a lack of impulse control if I ever saw it. You know, I was reading an article yesterday in, uh, it, uh, in the, my news app that I discovered on my phone uh, after all these years. And uh, it was about a, a lady who got a face transplant. It's only like the third, I don't know how many it was. There's not been that many in the U.S., but this woman had to have a face, this young girl had to have a face transplant. She's like 21 or something. But what happened is she got upset. There was a lot going on in her life. She found out her boyfriend was texting other people and just on impulse grabbed her dad's shotgun, put it under her chin, and pulled the trigger. But she didn't die. She just blew her face off. Immediately, she regretted that impulsive act. But it destroyed her life. Just, she was a beautiful young lady. She, they recreated it as best they could until they could find a donor like three or four years after the accident. And uh, they, they actually found a donor face. And they, they put it back on her, but she's still not exactly right. 
She's better than she was before the donor phase. But, you know, and I thank God for modern technology. Man, it's crazy and amazing what they can do now. I mean, I was reading something the other day. They're growing ears in the labs uh, in the shape of, you know, people's ears and, and noses and stuff. So they can, you know, they're growing them with stem cells and so they can put them back on. And, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Thank God. Thank God for medicine. Listen, and just for the record, we're not opposed to doctors. Just in case anybody's wondering, just because we say that God is our healer, how many of you know medicine is going the same way God is going, which is life and wholeness? Do you understand? You pray. And if, if you're not healed immediately, then, then you keep believing, but you go to the doctor, especially if it's your child. You don't practice your faith on your child. If they're sick, you pray. If they don't get immediately better, you get your backside to the emergency room or to the doctor or wherever you got to go, and you'll all live to believe God another day. How many of you know when I first set myself to learn about faith for finances, I did without for a little bit till I could figure it out. Do you understand what I'm saying? I was in Bible school, and I lived on 88-cent packages of hot dogs. One week, that is literally what I had. I had like $2 for groceries for the week. I bought an 88-cent package of hot dogs, which them ain't even good dogs. You understand what I'm saying? Them's the bad dogs. I don't even want to know I was in them dogs. That package of hot dogs was 88 cents, and I went to the day-old bread rack and bought yesterday's out-of-date bread, and that's what I lived on literally for a week. I, I had a hot dog every meal, lunch and dinner for a week. That's what I lived on. But eventually I figured it out. I learned how to use, but it, some things are not automatic. So you pray and you believe God. And, and if you don't instantly have enough faith or you don't instantly get the manifestation, then you go do what you need to do, but you keep believing and you'll figure it out. You'll get there. Do you understand what I'm saying? No, you know, no harm, no foul. Go to the doctor. Where am I? Why? How did I get off on all that? Uh, oh Lord, have mercy. Really? How does that fit in? Oh, okay. Uh, oh, impulse. The lady with the face. I remember now. Uh, okay. Thank God for modern medicine. But, you know, as soon as she did that, you know she regretted that. People are just acting out towards each other. They're just saying stuff on social media without a thought of who it affects and what, that there's a real person on the other end. You know, they, um, what do they call those people, trolls? Is that right? No, maybe. I'm not even on social media, okay? But, uh, you know, I was watching, um, they, they chased down this guy who was just being mean to all these women online. I mean, just he would just see something online and send all these women messages about how ugly they were and how fat they were and how disgraceful they were and all this stuff. And, and so when they found him, the reporters, they said, you do realize there are actual people on the other side that you're hurting. And he said, no, I never stopped to think about it. He says, just what I think and what I feel and in the moment, so I just say it. Well, what if they felt like smacking you right now? <laughs> if everybody just starts acting on impulse, how many of you know we are in trouble? Because I guarantee you, even when you're sanctified, occasionally your flesh has impulses. <laughs> Not that I speak from experience. But all that acting out of impulse, that's what that word heady means. I think there's a whole lot of things being done without forethought, even from the highest levels of our government right down to the fifth grader who just got a phone. We all have to practice impulse control to live successfully with each other in this world. Because if everybody just started acting on impulse, how many of you know we'd have anarchy in no time at all? Because I felt like saying that. Well, I felt like smacking you. Well, I felt like smacking you back. Well, I felt like smacking your mama. Well, I felt like, you know. <laughs> Let's just say things would get out of control really quickly if everybody was just acting out of impulse. 
That's what that word heady means. But there's an awful lot of that going on right now. Number 17. That's, yeah, sign number 17. People will be high-minded. High-minded. That's the Greek word tufu. Tufu. It means to envelop with smoke, i.e. figuratively, to inflate with self-conceit. That's what Strong's uh, Concordance says, to envelop with smoke. I thought that was so interesting. Have you ever heard somebody say, oh, they're just blowing smoke? What does that mean? They're just, you know, saying things that aren't true to shield and hide who they really are. Uh, like a smoke screen. They're, they're, you know, they don't want you to see who they really are. They want you to think they're better than they are, so they blow smoke. Uh, that's what that word actually means. Um, it refers to someone whose opinion of themselves is inflated beyond what it should be, and they try to cover their real state with a smoke screen of words. They think themselves better than everyone else when they're not. You know, a lot of that goes on on social media. You know, you can get on social media and just get flat depressed because, you know, everybody looks so beautiful in their selfies, you know. And they're vacationing here and they're doing that. And, you know, here's my, you know, new car. I wish I would have, I should have pulled this thing off the Internet I found today. It was really hilarious. It was uh, like this, this pool looked massive in this hotel in the background. Uh, and when they actually pulled back from the shot, it was almost like a children's wading pool. <laughs> they just angled the camera just right to get the water in the foreground. It looked like a, a several acre pool. And it was a kiddie pool, like two foot tall and four foot square, uh, in the front yard of this ridiculous hotel. But how many of you know that's what sometimes people's social media is? And we get all thinking, oh, man, I'm not, you know, what I ought to be, and I don't look like that, and, you know, my house don't look like You don't know how long they work to get that shot. <laughs> or what kind of angles they did or what, you know. You, you, you just be happy with who you are. But there's a lot of high-minded people out there blowing smoke in our day and age. Number 18, I'm trying to hurry, get through this, okay? 18, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Wow. That phrase, lovers of pleasure, is the Greek word philodonos, which is a compound of two Greek words, phileo and hedonos. Phileo, which those of you who've had love walk know, uh, is a word that conveys the meaning of love and affection for someone or something. Hedonos is a word only used five times in the New Testament, and it describes someone who is preoccupied with their own pleasure and the gratification of their own flesh. The English dictionary says hedonism is the doctrine, that's the root word, uh, hedonism is taken from the root word hedonos. Hedonism is the doctrine that pleasure or happiness is the highest good. It's addiction to and obsession with the pleasures of your flesh as a way of life. How many of you know there are people who live that way? Their self-gratification, them doing what feels good to them is the only thing that matters to them. You know, I know, and, and I'm sorry that I do know, but, but because of some contacts with somebody I was helping, I know there are whole resorts where hedonists go and do things they ought not do with other people who are like them. How many of you know that is not a way to live? That, how sad is that? We're going to talk about that in a minute, but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. Here in the U.S., we are the number one economy in the world by nominal GDP, gross domestic, I don't know what it is anyway, by GDP. That I read it today. I pulled it off the Internet. If it's on the Internet, it has to be true. No, it really was a reputable site. I'm just teasing. We really are the number one economy in the world. We know that. There has never been a generation before us with access to more material goods and comfort than our generation. Yet despite that, people aren't happy. They released on the Index of World Happiness website that the U.S. this year in 20, 000, 2018, 2018 
has dropped to number 18 in the world as far as the happiness of its citizens. We have the most in the world, and there's a whole lot of people in the world a lot happier with a lot less. What is my point? You satisfying all the lust and the desires of your flesh ain't going to make you happy. It's just not. It's just not. Self-centered living does not produce happiness. In fact, there is an epidemic of suicide going on in our nation right now. There is an incredible number of people who, who are uh, only living for themselves and they're increasingly feeling like there's no point to all of this because they're living without God. So what else are they living for but themselves? Maybe, you know, the, the object of their affection as long as they're in their good graces, but without the guidance of the Holy Spirit, without the control of love himself. You know, a lot of times love like that doesn't last. So really they're living only for their own pleasures and and when that isn't enough, then they have nothing else left to live for. Without God, they're hopeless and life has no meaning. But I'm here to tell you tonight, hope lives. Hope lives. Hope lives. That's how they live. Only for themselves. And when that's not enough, then there's nothing else. And they want to hurt themselves. Because what is the point of all this? But we know this world is just part one of our life. We know there's great divine, eternal purpose in the life that we live here on this earth. And when it's all over, it's just the beginning for us. We're going to go to heaven and we're going to reap our eternal rewards. And we're going to rule and reign uh, in the the millennial reign of Christ. And we're going to take our place. This is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. And because we know that, we're not hopeless and despairing even when things go wrong. Because we know, like like Pastor Robert Schuler said, tough times never last. But tough people do. Tough times never last. But tough people do. What am I saying? You know, when unhappiness comes, when tough times come, just hang on. The seasons will change. You know, when I was growing up, every time I was all in despair about something, you know, my my boyfriend doesn't did me wrong and, you know, whatever I was upset about. My mama would always say, this too shall pass. How many of you know she's right, but it irritated the crud out of me? (laughs) And it always did pass. God always had something better. But where would I be without God? Where would I be without that great hope that something better is coming down the road? That this is not the end of life or existence or this is not all there is. There is something way beyond what we see in this natural realm. And it is that realm that we live for. And it's that realm that sustains us when things are tough. When things get hard. How do people live without that hope? How do people live without God? You know, when Pastor and I go on vacation... We like to eat at, uh, you know, sometimes we like to eat at outdoor kind of restaurants. It's close to the beaches we can get. If we can get our toes in the sand while we're eating, that's all the better. And a lot of those places, sometimes they have, they hire guitar players to come and they sing songs to you, uh, you know, at the beach while you're eating your dinner. Are you all with me? So we got guitar players. It's happened to us a number of times, you know, various places we've been on vacation. And... Um, invariably, invariably, they'll sing the song, Dust in the Wind. Y'all know that song? Dust in the wind, all we are is dust in the wind. Uh, Basically, is so depressing. (laughs) Seriously. The premise of the song is that though we think we're something, we're nothing but dust in the wind. All of our dreams come to nothing. All of our plans come to nothing. 
don't hang on, nothing lasts forever but the earth and sky. All we do crumbles to the ground, though we refuse to see that we're dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. And they get into it. You know they mean it. You can tell the way they're singing that song that it's coming right out of their heart. That's really what they believe. On at least two occasions, I've watched them on their break because they sing for a while and play and then they take a break. I've watched them go around the side of the building where they got a bottle in a brown paper bag or worse yet, other stuff laid out that they're doing on their break from singing. Why? Because they really are hopeless. Because they really believe life has no meaning. Because they really believe You know, I I had somebody who used to tell me all the time, life's a B word that I don't say, and then you die. Well, welcome to the sunshine. But how many know that's what people believe? But that's not us, because we know better. You are created in the likeness and the image of the almighty God. And you have infinite worth and value. And your life matters because the king of the universe is your father. He is your father. And he's created you for great purpose. He's created a destiny just for you in this life. Something that will give your life meaning and fulfillment. Something that will not only last for this life, but will last for eternity. We are not just dust in the wind. We are not just amoebas that that climbed out of the primordial sludge. Satan has worked so hard for so long to convince humanity that it's nothing and it's worth nothing when he knows it is something. It's everything to God and we're of infinite value and worth to God. Hope lives because Jesus lives. Hope lives. What we do here and how we live has eternal significance and meaning. You know what? Lust is a terrible master. It just demands more and more and more, and it gives nothing of lasting significance in return. It's never satisfied. If you, if you give in to this, it lust. I talked about it last week. Lust and the devil, they push you, and they push you, and they push you, and they try to get you to yield to, to whatever it is they want you to do that's wrong. But the moment you yield, then an even greater lust comes. Now it wants more. Now it's never satisfied. Nor will it ever be. Lust is a terrible master. Living for the lust of your flesh that will never be satisfied is a terrible, hopeless way to live. I want us to look at 2 Timothy 3, 4 out of the Message Bible. It says, in the last days, people will be treacherous, Ruthless, bloated windbags. I like that. Bloated windbags. Addicted to lust and allergic to God. Wow. Addicted to, how many of you know? That pretty much sums it up. Now, the message is just a, a paraphrase. So I don't recommend you do a lot, of t- a lot of study time in it. But sometimes he says things in a way we can just get them. And he said, sometimes people are addicted to lust in the last days. They'll be addicted to lust and allergic to God. 2 Timothy 3, 4 in the King James says, in the last days, people will be traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. I want you to notice he said, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. 
He didn't just say lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. No, he said lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, which to me takes it out of the world and brings it into the church. Because you can love God according, apparently, you can love God still, but love the pleasure of your flesh more. Dear God, help us. We have to be careful that we don't love our own pleasure more than, and the ease of our flesh more than we love God. What might that look like? That means when God wants something from you, we don't like it. I want you to join the worship team. But that means I'd have to come to practice on Mondays. I'm going to have to be here early on Wednesdays and Sundays too. You know, I had somebody tell me, you know, I can't do two services on Sunday morning. It cuts into my family time. I said, can you look me in the eye and tell me you have quality family time on Sunday morning between the hours of 8 and 10.30 in the morning. I know you're not having no family time. Don't even, you are snoring. And you want to keep snoring. We have to be careful that we don't go too far in the teaching that God has promised us a good life. And therefore, my pleasure and my ease comes before all. How many of you know that's wrong thinking? No, I needed some more response than that. How many of you know that is wrong thinking? Yes. That's what I tell them in Love Walk. No matter what I say, just keep smiling and looking forward. And every now and then, give me a nod. And nobody will ever know I'm getting you, all right? <laughs> God does have a good life for you. But with God, the way up is often down. His, his kingdom works on a whole different system than the world. We talked about this last week, I think. Or maybe it was in BI. I've taught so many times, I don't even know now. Uh, the, the way of the world is to get all you can. Can all you get. And then sit on the can <laughs> so nobody takes your stuff, right? Get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on the can. But with God, that's not how the kingdom of heaven operates. Many times, most of the time with God, the way up is down. Matthew 20, 27. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. How many of you know that Mark and I are the, are, the, are the leads of this ministry? Mark is the ultimate lead, even of me. Uh, but how many of you know in a very real sense we're the servant of all? We lay down our life every day to be there for you, to pray for you. That means when God nudges me in the middle of the night to get up and pray for you, I get up out of my bed and I pray for you. I don't tell him, look, Lord, I can do it in the morning. That means... I do what I have to do to be your servant, to help you, to, to, to serve you. Matthew 23, 11. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Do you want to be great? Go deep. Be the best servant of all. I have a rule on the worship team that they just hate. I won't even look over there as I'm talking. <laughs> but my rule is this. If you, this is my rule. If you ask for a microphone, you go back to the end of the line on getting a microphone. Why? Because this is about worship. This is not about showcasing talent. This is not about being seen. This is not about I can sing better than you can sing. This is about worshiping God. And in my estimation, you can do that as easily from the choir as you can a mic singer. It's about heart attitude. 
If you want to go up, you go down first. You be the best choir member there was. You be on time with a good attitude, walk in love with everybody. Just do your thing. God can open doors for you that no man can shut. God will get you where you need to be. You don't have to knock down doors. You don't have to demand things. God can get you where you need to be. Luke 6, 38. When you need money, what do you do? Give, and it shall be given unto you. How shall it be given unto you? Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. But who gives first? Who gives first? I need money. Up your giving. Up your sowing. Come on. You can give your way right out of debt. Well, Pastor Rhonda, that makes no sense, I know. His ways are higher than our ways. He said the way up is down. You need money, give. And then it will be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Luke 9, 23. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, this is Jesus talking. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What do you have to do? Deny yourself. I don't want to deny myself. In school of ministry, and I think I even do it in second year love walk, I put two inverted triangles up here to demonstrate that the higher you desire to go in effectiveness to God, the more rights you're going to have to give up. Pastor and I are at the top. We're at the pinnacle of the triangle that's like this because we're the top. But you know what that means on the inverse? I have the least rights of anybody. I don't have the right to sleep in on Sunday morning when I'm tired. I don't have the right to not like people, anybody. I don't even give myself the option. I don't allow myself to have that thought. I love everybody. I, I love everybody. I don't care if you bathe or you don't bathe. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a multimillionaire or, or just came in uh, out of your tent. I'm going to love you. Or you're staying in your car. I love you just the same. We take care of you just the same because it's how God does. I don't have the right. Uh, you know, we were with someone on their boat, and, and I'm thinking, I am not going to wear a swimsuit. <laughs> so what did I do? I wore capri pants, and I sat in the boat, and I sweated while everybody else was doing their thing. Well, well, Pastor Rhonda, you, I have a right to wear a swimsuit when it's hot out and go swimming. I didn't want that picture in anybody's mind. I don't have the right to be short with the cashier when she messes up. Do you want to be used in the kingdom? I tell them in that class, if you want to go on to be fleshy, go on, but you're never going to mount to anything for God. Yield to your flesh all you want. You're just choosing which end of that spectrum you're on. Well, I got to have my say. Well, go on, knucklehead. You're just hurting yourself. But reality is, if you've got to give them a piece of your mind, I doubt you can spare it. You need to hang on to it. Because I'm afraid you need all them pieces. I'm just saying. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gains the whole world and loses himself or is cast away? 
Even this hyper-grace doctrine, which I don't really have time. I've, I've only got another page and a half. This hyper-grace doctrine, if we're not careful, smacks of this being, smacks of us being lo lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. God loves me uh, and he wants me happy so I can fulfill any old lust of my flesh I want and God doesn't care because we're under grace. That falls right into that. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I'm here to tell you tonight, God does care. Jude 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know lasciviousness is probably not a word you use a lot, but it means a lack of moral restraint. He said it's ungodly men who turn grace into a lack of moral restraint. Titus 2.11 for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. For the grace of God. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Teaching us. Grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. When you understand grace, that's what grace teaches you. Y'all don't like that? Okay, we can stop here and we'll just pick right up here next week. Come on now. Grace teaches us that denying ungodliness. Flesh, we're not going to act that way. There's a new sheriff in town now. I'm the boss. Down, girl, down. Sit. We're not going to act like that. Flesh, we're not going to cross the street so we don't pass by somebody. We're not going to act like that. Because grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, denying them, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Those who constantly live in sin, constantly live in failure and go from one mess to another, one crisis to another, one heartache to another all their lives. I won't read it, but Psalm 74, 20 says there's cruelty in the habitations of darkness. How many of you know when you choose to live in the darkness, there's cruelty there? The Bible says there is. You're going to go from disgrace to disgrace, scandal to scandal, mess to mess all your life, and never get to, to the good life God has for you. Oh, I don't have time. I'm, I'm going to skip. God loves you and wants you to have a happy life, and he does accept you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. The woman caught in adultery, what did he say to her? He said, neither do I condemn thee. But how many of you know that wasn't the end of his sentence? That's where the world wants us to stop. God, Jesus, he didn't condemn anybody. He just accepted everybody. He did. He said, neither do I condemn you, but go and sin no more. Knock it off. Live better. Stop doing this. I don't condemn you either. How many of you know he showed her mercy? He could have had her stoned. Really, in accordance with the Old Testament law, he should have had her stoned. But he showed her mercy. And he showed her grace. And then he told her, I don't condemn you either, but you got to do better than this. You can do better than this. Go, but sin no more. Do you see? He, he accepted her just the way she was. But he loved her too much to leave her there. In defeat and misery, and scandal, and tragedy. Because if she keeps it up, death is coming. Because he might not be there next time to rescue her. Do you understand? The wages of sin is death. He knew it was coming. <sighs> I got to hurry. Last page, quick. Flip it. All right. He loves you just the way you are, but he's not content to leave you in your sin. There are people who think grace gives them permission to live by continually yielding to the lust of their flesh, and God is okay with them doing that, but it's not true. 
The phrase, a lover of God, is phileos. It's a compound of the word phileo, which means love and affection, and theos, which is the Greek word for God. He said we're to love the Lord our God more than anything in this world. We're to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. That is the great commandment of the new covenant, that you love God with everything that's within you. We are not lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. We serve God with all of our heart. And if that causes my flesh temporary inconvenience, temporary pain, then my flesh is going to have to get over it because I'm living for a higher purpose. I am living for an eternal reward. I am living for the king of the universe to say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Not, well, you're done. Come on in. I don't want him to do me that way. I want him to be pleased with me more than I want anything else. Let's be lovers of God. Let's give him everything we have. Let's love God before all others. Jeremiah 29, 11, no, Jeremiah 29, 12, 13, 11, 12, 13. He said, you'll find me when you search for me with all your heart. I think that's about verse 13. Listen, if you love him with all of your heart, yeah, you're going to go through stuff. There are going to be times when you're going to have to deny your flesh what it wants, but it's all right. Your flesh is going to get over it. You're going to live for your flesh to bark another day. But you should be a lover of God before anything else. Before you're a lover of anything else, even your own pleasure, even the comfort of your own flesh, even the pacifying of your own flesh. We love him more. Amen? Well, Father, we come before you right now in Jesus' name. Father, we're here because we do love you more than anything else. Keep us there, Father. Keep us in that place where our focus is on you. Father, you eradicate hopelessness. It is not possible to be hopeless when you're serving and loving God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. You are the great hope of our world. You're the only hope for our world. The only hope for our nation. And Father, we purpose to love you first and with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and even with all of our body. And I thank you for your great love for us. In Jesus' name. We hope you're inspired by today's message. If you want to hear more from the Word of God, head over to cwol.org. Check us out on YouTube or any social platform under at Seawall Madison. We believe God is working within you, and we want you to know him so you too can make him known.